Coffee, Cows, and Crops is produced by the Peace Country Beef and Forage Association and hosted by Extension Coordinator Johanna Murray. On this podcast, we discuss management practices and research results with scientists, ranchers, researchers, and farmers. We strive to share innovative information and farming practices supported by sound science and practical wisdom. So grab a cup of coffee and let's get learning. everybody. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Coffee, Cows, and Crops. Today I'm chatting with Dr. Emma Stevens from Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada about her role in the Peace Living Lab and some of the work that she's done on agriculture and ecosystem economics. But before we get into all the fun stuff, Emma, would you like to introduce yourself and talk a little bit about how you got started with AAFC? Okay, sure. Um, Thanks so much for having me. And uh, yeah, I hope I can give you some information that is valuable to you. I uh, started with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada in July 2019. Um, And I am at the Lethbridge Research and Development Centre working as a bioeconomist. And what that means is I work with uh, a lot of my science colleagues on uh, their different innovations and research practices to try to understand what are the some of the economic implications for a lot of the science that we do um, in science and technology branch and in particular in Alberta and at the Lethbridge Station. Um, a bit more about myself. Uh, I'm a microeconomist by training, so that means I kind of focus on the individual and kind of up to the level of markets in terms of my research, understanding decision-making about agriculture, uh, farm management practices. I've also done research on uh, the behavior of agricultural commodity markets. And so that is an important thing to understand for agricultural producers. There's a lot of volatility, particularly in agricultural commodities. So I'm, uh, I have done some research trying to understand those pricing patterns and how farmers interact with them, how markets transmit information between between themselves. So if you have a price spike in one part of the country or one part of the world, how does that transmit to other related connected markets? So um, that's uh, some of my uh, area of interest. I'm also interested in food security. I, uh, I'm new enough to agriculture and agri-food Canada that I haven't kind of fully gotten my um, research program underway and the past couple of years have been a bit of a a rough and tumble for everybody. Uh, But I'm also quite interested in uh, the role that our agricultural sector plays in uh, food security outcomes uh, for Canadians as well. So yeah, I'll be mostly supporting um, the Living Lab project uh, the way I do for my other science colleagues, trying to add an economic framework to a lot of the innovative practices that people are working on for the Living Lab. Fantastic. So you're a microeconomist, so lots of decision making and that sort of stuff. Um the biggest challenge a lot of the time for producers who are adopting new practices or changing management or any of that sort of stuff, it's definitely the economic side of things. It's that risk of trying something new and what if it doesn't work and all that sort of stuff. So what 
to you as an economist are the most important things to track or consider for producers who are trying something new? I mean, that's uh, that's a really big question and innovation is critical to to any any industry but particularly agriculture um so it's uh, it's been amazing i was able to visit the peace region a couple of weeks ago and kind of get a sense of all the different innovative practices that people are trying i think the difficult thing is that there are some tools. So the Bee Forage Association has a lot of training and information on how to calculate cost of productions, but those are for practices that we already kind of know quite a bit about. Um, so I would say uh, we we need to do a lot more research. We need to um, work with each other to look at all of the consequences of a change in management practices. So uh, you you should try to track uh, how much time you're spending, any any differences in in inputs that you are kind of seeing when you're shifting between one practice and another. Um, but it'll take some time to follow up as well and see well what did that practice uh, change in the end. So uh, I think unfortunately <laughs> the answer is is more research and more science, but it's very interesting. Uh, because with all these new trials, and it's great that people are really willing to try them, that you can you can hit upon a, a better solution, a, a more optimal kind of choice of crops or a, a mix of animals and livestock that maybe isn't commonly done, but then you uh, you you apply it and you work out the kinks and then you kind of discover unknown synergies just because you are doing something new. So yeah, I cost of production is sort of a, a minimum, but there can be a lot of system outcomes that we're going to have to try to track um, to to really document all of the benefits of a new practice. So um, keep your records, I guess, but I, I'm sure you're already doing that. Uh, and then work with uh, work with research associations to try to. Uh, maybe gather additional information. It could be that you are doing something that someone else in a different part of the region or a different part of the country is doing, but you just, you're not in contact with them. So that's often a good way to um, try to figure out what's going on is to compare your experience to somebody else's. And then you gradually kind of put together a, a model, a picture of how the change in management really going to impact you. So yeah, it's it's new and really interesting, but yeah, it does require a lot of careful observation and gathering of data to to try to put it in context and figure out what's what's going on. That makes sense. And it can be be tricky to accurately measure change when you're factoring things in like management time or improved productivity 3 years from now. <laughs> so and that's true of a lot of the practices that the living lab is going to be measuring, like um, reducing inputs and increasing livestock impact and that sort of stuff. A lot of those do have impact, but they have impact years down the road. So how how does the living lab plan to deal with that? Economics tries to understand yeah, decision-making over uh, scarce resources, and time is one of those scarce resources. So uh, uh, including short 
short-term versus long-term. So you're trying to decide what to do today uh, that may, yeah, it may not impact you until the future. So often, um, uh, well, in the living lab in particular, we're hoping to get measurements of the um, the impact of some of these innovative practices over time. So we'll be working with folks for five years uh, and talking to them all along about what happens over multiple growing seasons. And that'll help us to better document the dynamics involved so uh, we can try to model it, I guess, is 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 one way. So if you have multiple sets of data from different points in time, then you can try to come up with an idea. Well, how did we get from the short term to the long term? We have these two, we have the beginning point and the end point, and we can sort of say, well, it seems like this this grew at a certain rate and this uh, change in soil happened at a particular, with a particular speed. And that can explain how we got from one point to another. Uh, the point of doing that is to be able to get beyond the living lab and project into the future, even beyond that. So I think we're hoping um, with the length of the project being for, for five years that we can capture the dynamics not just a one-off uh just one one season what happened but um we know that every season leads into the next one so you you, you changes you make this year are, will stick around because you're working with uh with the natural capital base so i think we're hoping that we can model that better with more data over time from the project and from the different producers who are willing to uh, to work on these different innovative practices. And hopefully at the end of it, we'll be able to have a much better model of the future beyond five years because we can nail it down in, in terms of the dynamics. So that that's another question that I'm sure people want to know is, how long will the benefits go? But we need to uh, have some way to model and project into the future and the data we're collecting will help us to do that. Yeah, that makes sense. We have data on, on some of the practices, but they're from other parts of the country. I think that's the other issue is that uh, there's a lot of information on cover cropping, for example, but it might be from Ontario or Quebec or Eastern parts of Canada. And it just, it may not be, very applicable for doing the kind of modeling that I'm talking about. So that's the other opportunity here is to really localize our information and make a model that's specific to, to the peace region to try to give people better information about what the practices do. Yeah, well, and I can see some really neat benefits too with just how long this project's going to last because it's over five years is the first cycle. I believe so. Yeah. But yeah, it could go into the next five years after that. So really trying to look at a much longer horizon, but one that makes sense for farmers, for sure. They're not just looking year to year. Yeah, that data over larger spans of time is always useful. <laughs> Yeah, I think so too. And uh and uh, yeah, we're we're really hoping to get a much more precise picture with with having that information. Awesome. So taking that uh, idea and shifting it slightly. The other thing that happens a lot in agriculture is we have a lot of these best management practices and stuff that don't directly affect the profit profitability of your farmer ranch. 
So things like increasing litter, or soil health management, or um, managing water quality and fencing off your riparian areas, those all don't they, they often eventually result in healthier crops and better nutrient cycling and all that sort of stuff, but it takes some time and it doesn't directly affect your, <laughs> your bottom line. So is there a way to factor those sorts of improvements into an economic assessment or is that... <laughs> Yeah, I that, I thought that was a really interesting question. I had, um, yeah, those economics relies on kind of transparent prices and costs, and things come through markets, and you you know what the price is. Um, but of course, especially with agriculture, um, there are a lot of non-market uh, factor and non-market benefits. Uh, that uh, we would like to try to capture. So some of the things you mentioned, like um, uh, protecting your riparian areas, you know it's going to be good for water management on your farm, even though uh, uh, there's no there's no market through which you are getting those benefits. So yes, it's it's a big challenge. I think I think modeling is is one of the ways to get at that. So you have a hypothesized relationship between um, uh, between your water management practices and uh, and soil health, let's say, or erosion or uh, crop health. Uh, and all of this data that we've been talking about is going to help us to come up with that model. Um, and then you can try to attach that to market values down the road. So if you try to put a, a value on minimizing erosion on your farm, let's say, what's it worth to you to maintain that topsoil for a longer period of time by doing these practices? And then you try to you try to match those up. You know how much you spent on managing erosion or managing water systems on your farm. And you can try to translate that to the the value of having that agriculture in the future. But it's yeah, you have to be do do a lot of careful modeling work to put those two things together because you you can't uh, you can't buy a riparian area in a store, right? So so, so uh, but you know it's valuable, um, and so but it's only valuable through its relationship to other things on your farm, like your crop crop health, uh, your yields, um, having having different parts of your farm can it be more consistent in their productivity. So uh, if you have water logging or water infiltration or something like that, you know that that impacts yields in that particular part of your farm and that's costly to you because you you can't kind of say, well, the whole yield I'm collecting is the same quality, for example. So it's like a two-step or a three-step calculation between what happens to you in the end. Uh, we can look at average returns, average uh, average yields, and then compare them to people who have different practices. And we can kind of get at the relationship that way without having those prices. But it does involve more more modeling than uh, than some other decisions where where uh, the relationship, the economic relationships are more direct. Biodiversity is another one. Like how do you, how do you capture economically the value of increasing biodiversity on your farm? Well, you have to have a lot of different observations of 
different farm practices and how and and the biodiversity measurements directly so uh, and then you tie it to the economic stuff that you do know and then you try to do a a rough calculation of what it's worth that makes sense and adjacent to that there's been lots of talk about carbon credits and getting paid for ecosystem services and sequestering your carbon under your perennial plants and that sort of stuff so having fed striparian areas and high carbon soils like we say it's, it's good for producers it's hard to quantify it necessarily but it is good but uh how do we factor these sorts of things like carbon credits into economic assessment because there's a bunch of management time that goes into that too because there's paperwork and that sort of stuff you have to deal with sure um there's a value of the of the credit and you have to compare uh applying to get those where they exist to that uh, management time. I think we need a lot of data about the relationship between the management practices and uh, and the carbon sequestration or the water quality or um, all these different uh, programs that might support producers in in management practices that will improve the sustainability of their farm, but also have benefits for the rest of Canada. So maintaining our our water systems is hugely important, uh, not just directly on the farm, but for the rest of the country, of course. And so I think we need to know how much time you spent doing that, and then we can try to figure out how much it's it's worth uh, and how to support it. Uh, and then we can also try to translate it to how much it's worth to uh, the broad, the broader, broader peace region or the rest of Alberta. Um, that's hugely important. I, but I do think data is is uh, it always comes down to that. We need to know exactly what went into producing all these services because we know that farmers are land stewards and they're managing all these different systems. Uh, not just for their own farms, but uh, for for the rest of us. So I care about food security and I care about their ability to keep producing uh, important crops and livestock for the rest of Canada and the rest of the world. So um, it has value beyond the farm, but we need the we need the data to be able to to demonstrate it so we can either look over time. So look at a one farm over time to try to see, well, how... How long did it take to accumulate carbon in the soil? How how many changes in management did they have to engage in over the years in order to get that particular increase in sequestration? So this is uh, one way of doing it. Another way is comparing lots of different farmers to each other. We know there's variation in the practices that they have. Uh, if we can also look at... Um, uh, soil properties for all those farmers, we can get at the relationships that way because we have a big sample um, and we can try to tease out important relationships within that uh, large sample. And then, of course, my preference, because I'm a microeconomist and I like data, as you may have gathered at this point, is that do you, you want both. You want to talk to the same people over time, but you also want to talk to a lot of the same people over time. So you, you follow a big group of people uh, over the course of time, so you document what's going on with them, but you also document how they're kind of converging or diverging from one another. And that's probably the best combination of spatial and temporal variation to allow you to really 
look at all of the different services that agriculture provides and give us a sense of how, how much it's worth. So I, I personally think it's worth quite a bit, but uh, we need to uh, try to accurately capture that. So microeconomics is a good way to go. We can, we can think about uh, the individuals uh, and we can think about the region uh, and how it relates to one another. We can try to model some of those relationships and will eventually come out with a, a better picture of what all the bioeconomic relationships are regarding agriculture in the Peace region. That's my hope anyway. That makes sense. I had to throw that in there. I've been, it seems like everybody I talk to lately has been like, have you heard about this carbon credit program or what about this one? So I, it's, it's a really important question. And I think, um, yeah, we're hoping to get more data to uh, to under, understand it better. What's the relationship? Natural climate so solutions, agricultural climate solutions. I think that's part of what that's about, is recognizing that these um, natural systems, economic sectors in the country have a lot of potential to sequester carbon, to improve natural resource health and resiliency. And so just need to do a better job of capturing the data of how they're already doing that. That makes sense to me. The Peace Region Living Lab, bringing together farmers and ranchers with scientists and producer groups in our agricultural community to solve climate change challenges. The following segment is part of the Peace Region Living Lab Extension Package. For more information, visit peacelivinglabs.ca. So to get back onto the economic side of things, we talk a lot in agriculture, especially in regenerative agriculture, about sort of viewing your operation or your farm or even the whole industry as a system with smaller parts rather than a single unit or several se separate enterprises or any of that sort of stuff. And while that systemic approach is really useful for thinking about new management practices and some of this biological and ecosystem sort of stuff, it can be tricky when it comes down to figuring out cost of production and that sort of thing. So what are your thoughts on that whole system versus intense breakdown sort of <laughs> Well, this is music to my ears personally, just because I I like to think about things in systems too. I think economics is pretty naturally system oriented because it's trying to figure out how to allocate your economic resources across a limited set of choices. And that that is a system approach. You you have limited time, you have limited finances, you have limited land, water, sunshine. Uh, the season is is short and that's another limited resource too. So, so can't just deal with those things in isolation. So if you only thought about one of your fields instead of all of your fields, then that would probably not work out very well for you. <laughs> uh, on, the, on the economic side, there are things that you do that that encompass the the whole farm. So um, uh, investment in buildings or capital, things that you can share across different parts of your operation. Those are sort of whole farm economic expenses. Um, but you definitely have to um, 
think about uh, the whole system when you're deciding what to do in one part of your farm versus versus another. So I think you have to you have to balance how much attention you apply to one part of your farm versus the other, uh, not just agronomically, but also in terms of your time, in terms of your finances, your planning, um, your all of your management decisions. You have to decide, oh, this this part of my farm, this uh, this commodity that I'm working on needs a little bit more attention, but the other ones I can kind of let them go for a while so that I can focus on a new practice or a new crop, for example. Uh, but other times you you can't do that. So um, I don't think they're in opposition to one another. Although yes, I agree, it's hard to hard to track. You need to have a good model. Economics has a lot of concern with optimization. So we have to develop mathematical relationships between the time you spent and the money you spent on one part of your farm versus another part, because the mathematical relationship that explains how time translates to agricultural output on your farm will give you an answer. Generally, it'll say, don't spend all your time on one thing. This is very sensible. Uh, so economists tried to make it sound all fancy, but it's something that you know well. <laughs> Balance is good. There's a point in the middle, uh, but it's going to depend on the value of the crop. It's going to depend on the soil. Variation maybe you have between one part of your farm and another. You've got one one area that's particularly productive, you want to probably put a high value, high value crop there because you know you're going to get the most out of it. Uh, other parts of your farm um, that are maybe the soil health is is a little lower quality or you know it doesn't produce as well, you want to maybe put something there that is not so time intensive so you can get the most out of it without committing too many resources to it because you know that the yield is is not going to turn that uh, turn as as well as the part of your farm that has the soil that you know is better. So animals, it's the same way. You got to think about different, uh, how uh, your stocking rate, you got to think about calving, you got to think about livestock is very complicated. I, I'm used to more dealing with dealing with crops, but uh, what you want to feed your animals, when you want to, when you want to feed them, what micronutrients are worthwhile, which ones aren't, when do you call the vet? So you can develop relationships, mathematical relationships to, to define the economics of what's the best way to go. Uh, so that's a lot of uh, what what economists do, what I hope to do. So the data will help us determine those relationships. You know, too much of anything is a bad thing. That's sort of a simple way of putting it. <laughs> There's diminishing returns. It's and, and I think everybody recognizes this, but economists have just tried to tried to work to capture that um, in a, in a systematic way to give some guidance on if things change. So crop values change, prices change, input prices change, then these relationships help you to know how to change with that. You you can't keep doing the same thing when your economic conditions change, of course. So right. I think that's probably the the biggest takeaway. Yeah, uh, change is Change is difficult. So if you're changing into something completely new and innovative practice, then uh, yeah, there's risk associated with that. Um, but you're trying to navigate, yeah, a, a new situation, and you you have to change. So uh, hopefully we can have it be a little more informed than that. We have uh, 
hypothesize relationships and we can say, well, does this make sense for you guys? Is this uh, experience maybe in some other part of the country? Does that help uh, to show how to navigate change? And if not, then we'll develop a, a relationship that's more tailored to what's going on in the peace region. That'll be really exciting. Uh, as a data person, I tried to look at existing data that we have at the federal level. And there's, yeah, there isn't very much on the peace region specifically. And so, uh, and what I learned in my visit, there are a lot of economic challenges up there that maybe are not very, very well known or well reflected in our information. So it's an exciting chance to have things be a bit more specific and relevant to producers that are doing innovative stuff in the peace region. Yeah. I I am really excited about this because it's true. It's one of those, the peace region's pretty unique. Like we don't have a lot of processing capacity local. So a lot of it's got to go somewhere else. And then our soils are different and our ecosystem's different. Yeah. Exactly. And all of that has to be factored into your economics because it's a, it's a constraint on your ability to produce agriculture. But yeah, maybe very specific to the peace region. So uh, we should try to understand better how changes or how how those factors influence what you do, because they may not be present in other parts of the country. So yeah, there's a lot of opportunity to learn quite a bit. All right. Is there anything else you'd like to mention before we sign off? Any resources or projects or that sort of stuff? Goodness. Well, I mean, I have a scientist profile in Agriculture Agri-Food Canada. You can look at some of my work if that's of interest. You want to know more about me. There are other living labs maybe that might be of interest to some of your listeners uh, in the United States uh, and in Europe. The living lab concept is being being approached. So there's the the network of the United States is called LTAR, which is a long-term agricultural research project. And I believe if you just search that up, maybe along with USDA, you can see uh, some of those projects. They're not exactly like the Canadian ones in terms of the the co-development, it is a lot about uh, having a dedicated site to look for those long-term changes that you were talking about. Sometimes uh, system changes take a long time, and so it's dedicated uh, research areas in different parts of the country, in different ecosystems, to try to document those long-term changes. But th- there has been a lot of interaction between uh, our LTAR colleagues and Agriculture Agriculture Canada, for example, to share ideas on how to uh, work with producers in the regions where these uh, where these sites operate to have a full context, including the economics. So um, might be of interest to your listeners. We're trying something here that is being tried in different places. It might be interesting to see how how it's progressed in other places to get more information too. Mm-hmm. All right. Is there anything else you'd like to mention? Anything in your notes that we didn't talk about? I think we went through it. Uh, Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. Peace Country Beef and Forage Association is a research and extension group based out of Fairview, Alberta. Our mission is to help producers thrive in an agricultural system that is profitable, regenerative, and attractive to future generations. To learn more about what we do and see the results of our research trials or our archive of newsletters and fact sheets, check out our website at peacecountrybeef.ca. 
Want to get in touch? Have a burning question or a topic suggestion? Send us a message on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.